know that forgiveness, as we talk about it today, is absolutely central to the Christian life. It's not a small issue. It's a massive issue. Would you agree with that this morning? Forgiveness is a central and a very massive and important issue. We talk about it from Scripture. As a Christian, in order to become a follower of Jesus, you have to receive forgiveness. As a follower of Jesus, in order to live that life, we are commanded by Christ to give it away. And so we see the importance of it in all of the Bible. And let me just tell you this, you and I are gonna have lots of opportunities to forgive people because as far as I can tell, there really is no shortage of sin in our world. And so it's always an opportunity for us. The New Testament tells us well over a dozen or two dozen times, I think I counted at least 17, but I didn't do an exhaustive search. At least 17 times we are commanded in the New Testament to forgive other people. And usually the accompanying verse or the comment that's made, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And so there really are two compelling reasons for us to forgive people. The first one is because We are called by Christ to forgive. We are doing what God has called us to do. And in so doing, we are becoming like the one we're following. That's the first compelling and most important reason. The second reason that we forgive people is when we refuse to do something as followers of Jesus that we have been called upon to do. When we refuse to do that, something happens in our own heart. Our spiritual life is sapped and we begin to erode. And I would tell you that I do not think it is possible to be a faithful and fruitful follower of Jesus without practicing forgiveness towards one another. I simply don't think it's possible. I was thinking about this question because it's so important in the Bible. So now in my mind, I'm like, so why do so many people hold on to something that Jesus said that we need to give away so freely? It reminded me of many years ago, I went on a water skiing expedition. Now you're asking this question in your heart. You're like, Pastor Ben, uh, do you water ski? And the answer is no. Uh, the answer, it's real simple. It's no. Uh, have you gone water skiing? Yes, I went uh, one time in my life. Uh, there was a family that used to take me on their vacations to Eastern Washington, where it's about as close to Hades as it gets for my comfort zone <laughs> in terms of temperature. So I would go there and they had a boat and they would water ski and they tried to convince me one day that this was like a safe thing to do. So I tried and failed miserably and that's all I'm going to tell you about that. But there was another guy and he, his name we will leave out, but obviously he's sitting there in the water holding on and the boater just jams it into 45, 50 and he pulls up on the water and he's sliding and gliding and making it look easy to the rest of us who know it's not. And I remember I'm just enjoying the 100-degree weather, 120, whatever, just all pale, white, crispy. Uh, (laughs) You know, I always joke when it gets hot. I love the weather. I'm not going to complain about the 80s out here. I love it. Amen. But I'll tell you what, friends, this is my problem, but there's white and then there's like transparent. You know what I'm saying? There's like, I don't know what this is, but if I wore shorts, you wouldn't come back. I'm telling you what. Like, no matter what I do, you know, uh, say, Lord, help me, you know, anyways. Um, so I look back, somebody alerted us that, that a thing was wrong. And we look back and the guy who was sliding and gliding is no longer up on the water. And so we're all thinking, hey, trying to tell the boater who's not listening, apparently just going fast, thinking this life is a party. And we say, turn around. Somebody's forgetting to put up the flag, the whole deal. You know, we're not professionals at this at all. And so next thing I know, we look back and the guy is still holding on to the rope. <laughs> Just, doo, 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 doo. have you ever seen this? It is like therapeutic at best, but you're like, why? You know, you're sort of like, you're in danger zone where you're holding on to the rope. The skis have blasted off somewhere into outer space and he's still just, and everybody in the boat with like within unison, without praying and thinking and strategizing about what to say, we all said, let go of the rope, man. He couldn't hear us at all, you know, nor could the driver. And so at some point the boat stopped and and we picked up the pieces, but I was thinking about how, 
Uh, I was thinking about how sometimes, the, I mean, this picture is funny, and it's not related really, except for this guy who held onto the rope as the boat dragged him along the lake at 45 miles an hour did not realize in his mind for some reason that he was bringing on all kinds of unnecessary pain. <laughs> when he got into the boat, he realized it very quickly. This was not necessary. And I would tell you that holding on to unforgiveness is very similar. And I think as Christians, something we've got to learn is how to let go. I mean, old school, we'd say, let go and let God. That, that used to mean something, but I want to tell you something. I have observed in not only my own self, but a lot of Christians for 20-something years at this point, and we are not great at forgiving people, and I don't need an amen from you today. I am telling you the truth. We are just not as good at forgiveness as sometimes we think we are, and we have to learn how to forgive and how to let go because it's not possible to live the faithful, fruitful Christian life that Jesus calls us to unless we practice forgiveness in the way that he prescribed to us. And so with that said, amen, I want to read to you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. It's a very well-known chapter. It's a very well-known passage. In verse 21, here's how it reads. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some translations actually say 77, not 70 times seven, but 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And I, if you have a Bible and a pen, underline that word. He was unwilling. That honestly is a bigger key to this passage than we often realize. He was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And Jesus concludes the story with, with verse 35 and he says this, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today. As we look at this passage, there's a lot here to consider, but something we see is that Peter asked Jesus a question. And the reason that Peter asked Jesus the question is because Jesus had been teaching a whole lot of things in Matthew chapter 18. And I want to summarize them so that we kind of get to where Peter is. So in Matthew 18, verse 1 through 5, Jesus discussed the humility that's required to enter the kingdom. You might remember this passage. He said, if you're going to enter the kingdom, you have to be converted and become like a child. You have to have childlike faith. And then in verse 6 through 9, Jesus discussed the seriousness of personal sin. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. This is very severe. This was Jesus' perspective of sin. Very important. But then he moves from personal sin to talking about the consequences of us causing other people to sin. He said, if someone causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and for them to be thrown into the sea. Well, that's, I mean, that's very serious as far as we can tell. But then in verse 10, Jesus talks about the father's heart for those who are lost, and that helps us to understand why the consequences of us causing other people to sin are so severe. 
because the Father wants to reconcile with everyone. And if we're getting in the way of that, he's saying that those consequences are severe. It's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. Why? Because God wants to bring everyone back. That's his heart. And he doesn't want anyone to get in the way of that. It's very serious to God. But then he wraps up before Peter asks the question in verse 15 to 20 by talking about how it is that we would handle sin among Christians in order to bring about reconciliation. So Peter hears all of this teaching and as he's walking through it, he's listening to it, he has a question. And he asks that question to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, you know that Peter was probably thinking that he was generous and gracious by saying seven times. There was a misunderstanding in Amos chapter three and verse one. Um, Rabbinic teaching would tell us that you would forgive someone three times, but not four. And the reason they taught that, it was a misunderstanding of what they believed God's heart was from an Old Testament passage. It's very obscure. It's not what it means, but that's what they would teach. And so they were wrong about that. And so for Peter to say seven times, he's thinking, my righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. And this is actually something Jesus said, that if you're going to enter the kingdom, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. But what they didn't understand is the only righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Peter's thinking he's doing a good thing, and Jesus responds to him saying, not so good, not so gracious. Peter, I'm not saying seven times. I'm saying 70 times seven. And friends, we know this is not about a number. This was a Jewish way of saying, never hold grudges. That's what Jesus was saying from his teaching. And so it's not about a number. It's never about a number. It's about a heart disposition. And that's what Jesus would teach us today. The disposition of the heart. This is the way of the kingdom. But there's a lot of stuff I think we need to clear up as we think about forgiveness. There's a lot of bad teaching about forgiveness. And I don't want to perpetuate any of that today, so I'm only going to unpack what we have time for. But I think the first thing we have to to do is define forgiveness. Terms are very important. So what does forgiveness mean? Well, it means two things primarily. And the first is forgiveness means to cancel a debt. In the parable, Jesus says the king canceled the servant's debt. That's very clear. And canceling a debt sounds wonderful. How many of you would like to have a debt-canceling service? Amen. (laughs) And some Pentecostal churches, uh, that's what they do. It's my opinion that most people still walk away broke. (laughs) Or if God did cancel their debt, if they don't learn a new way of stewardship, they're just going to acquire more debt. That's just the way that it is, because what's got you into this um, is going to get you back into it, uh, and it's not just a miracle. The miracle would be good stewardship, but anyways, I digress. I, I, I think it's awesome to consider that we are released of a debt. Forgiveness means to forgive a debt, to cancel a debt, but as you and I well know, a debt has to be paid by someone. So the second meaning of forgiveness is that to forgive means to absorb the cost. Someone has to pay for it. Like in our country today, there's a big political debate over free college tuition. Now, I don't want to bring that up because you might get triggered, (laughs) even though my message last week was not get offended, but you're still learning. And so am I. (laughs) But there's a debate, you know, should college be free? Should we pay off everybody's college tuition? Some of you would say yes, and some of you would say no. But here's the reality, is if you pay off the debt, somebody has to pay it. And this is why it's kind of a weird idea. Now, if you guys remember in 2007 and 8, I was a real estate agent at that time, and the market went down. You guys remember this? Uh, condos in our area went from like $200,000 to $50,000. And all I can think of is why didn't I buy as many as possible? (laughs) But the banks defaulted, okay, big time. And so short sales, all this kind of stuff happened. If you remember, you remember. But anyways, what we did as a country was we bailed the banks out. You guys remember this? That also was a debate. Again, I'm triggering you. Just calm down. I'm triggered. All right. But we bailed the banks out. But here's the reality. The government 
and our governmental leaders might have made the decision, but we wrote the check. There's a little offense there. All right. Somebody had to absorb the cost. Money doesn't grow on trees. Parents say that to their kids all the time. It, so it means to cancel a debt, but it means to absorb a cost. Now that's about money, but it's the same when you think about it in terms of sinning against one another. Forgiveness means I will not make you pay for what you have done to me. An unforgiveness mentality says I am going to make you pay for what you have done to me. We make people pay by bringing it up, talking about it, using it against them, and dwelling on it constantly. I want to remind you, good Christian people today, that when you say you have forgiven someone, but you're talking to other people about what they did, you are making them pay by gossiping about it. That is still called unforgiveness. It's one of the Christian secrets that to someone's face, I will say one thing, but when I'm with other people, I will go ahead and rant about what happened. It is still called unforgiveness as far as God's concerned. And so we have to lock this in, forgiveness and unforgiveness. And in the passage, Jesus taught a number of things that are very important to us. So what did Jesus teach about forgiveness? The first point is this. Forgiveness is progressive. In verse 21 and 22, the question is, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Seven, 70 times seven, which either translation that you take. The point was, forgiveness is not about a number. It's about losing count. It's a heart disposition. I would tell you forgiveness is progressive. It's not just a one and done. And, and I want to share it with you this way. There's always an event where somebody says, I forgive you, all right, when that exchange takes place. There's an event. That's a moment. That's, that's not an ongoing thing. That's a moment. And I think we should practice that today just for good measure. So at the count of three, we'll all say, I forgive you. Are you ready? One, two, three. I forgive you. Now look to the person on your right. One, two, three. I forgive you. How about the left? Come on, let's do it. One, I forgive you. All right, now look at me and say it. I forgive Do you really? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I didn't even know we had issues, but you know what? I just receive it. I do. I do. That was for the last three and a half years, whatever wrongs I did. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen. You see what I did. All right. Forgiveness is an event, but it's also an ongoing process. And what I'm talking about here is, is healing. I'm talking about there's an accumulation, a residual. The word for sin in the original language, in the Greek language for the New Testament, it's a word that's borrowed from the archery world. And here's what it means. It means to sin means to miss the mark. So when an archer would shoot an arrow and it would miss the bullseye, that was a sin. That's the way they use that word. And so Jesus borrows that word and the New Testament writers borrow that word out of the Greek archery world to talk about this thing that we discuss today called sin. But here's what we know. Some sins miss the bullseye a little bit. Some sins aren't even trying to aim for the target. There are some sins that have been committed against us or things that we have done and we didn't even hit the wall that the bullseye was on. And so we know that it, with levels of sin, they can hurt us in, in deeper ways. We've talked about that for the last several weeks. And so with certain levels of sin, you can say, I forgive you, but how many of you know that doesn't automatically make the sting go away? And so the way that I like to talk about this is forgiveness is as often as it takes. We have to forgive and keep on forgiving. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., said this, forgiveness is not an occasional act, but, but a permanent attitude. The word I use is disposition. I'll give you an example this way. Because I'm preaching these messages, I expect it, but when it happens, I'm still surprised. I have more challenges in the areas of my sermons. <laughs> you don't have to appreciate this at all, but it's true. And so I've been talking about freedom in Christ and forgiveness and cycles of pain and old wounds. And wouldn't you know that those things are still in my life too? Well, I may or may not. When you, when you pastor, okay, this isn't about me, but I'm just going to give you an example. When you pastor a church in a city of 98,000 people and 2% of that city goes to your church, you're probably going to see people that left the church at some point on aisle 10 in Fred Myers. 
All right. Now, when we have aggressive negotiations and a falling out, we don't tend to think about that until we're getting rice roni or mac and cheese on aisle 10 or picking up a gallon of milk. And then we're like, oh, hey, man, how are you? And in our mind, we're negotiating how much we meant that. So, all right, whatever. Okay, I'm a human. Judge me. Fine. But uh, so over the last several years, um, I mean, I've told you, to the best of my understanding, I can't think of any time in the last four or five years where I have intentionally tried to hurt someone or sin against them. Have I caused pain? I have. Have I said things that I shouldn't have said? Yes. Have I sinned? Yes, I have. Um, Did I seek to make that right? I tried. I really did. There were times, though, where I was also sinned against, just like you were. I was sinned against. And when I say sinned against, I don't mean just how I felt about it. There's some things that people say to me sometimes where I'm like, that's not a sin, but I really didn't like it. (laughs) But it's not a biblical sin. When we talk about sin, we have to make sure that it's a biblical, like this was actually a sin. What you said and what you did, according to scripture, that was sin. That was wrong. Other things I may not like, it may not be how I flow, but I'm not going to call that a biblical sin, and I need to let that just roll off my back. That's, we need to learn how to understand both issues. But there are times where somebody has sinned against me, and over the last few weeks, I happen to run into a few people, wouldn't you know, at certain places in Federal Way. And so you just never prepared for it. And I ran into someone recently. I looked up, and there's somebody coming up to me, and I just could not muster that bounce up to them <laughs> I don't tend to have a fake bone in my body. So it's just really hard. Like, hey, let's go get coffee. Like none of that is available for me. I'm like reaching down, man. And it's just, there's nothing there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's no gas in the tank. There's nothing going on there. There's no candy to give. There's nothing, all right? Pockets are empty. Cash is low. So I see someone and they did. Uh, they did. It's not a huge thing, but they did sin against me, and they didn't make it right. I tried. They didn't accept that world, and, and so may God bring that to them. But I, anyway, so I had to forgive them anyways. Amen. I just, for, I just Lord, I forgive them. They're not recognizing this, so that's where I'm going to live. I'm going to live in forgiveness. Um, but when I saw them, you know what was amazing? Is I had an event where I forgave the person, but when I saw them, that emotion came right back. Oh, man. And you know, you're living life. You're like, man, I've forgiven them. And I just, I'm walking in forgiveness and freedom. And then you see them and something, the temperature starts to rise. You could be in church, just worshiping your way. Into, let everything, badass breath, praise the Lord. And you see someone on your left, they just walk right past you and they walk up to that seat and they start worshiping and you're like, you, and you start calming down a little bit. You know, right. Yeah, you move from Pentecostal to Presbyterian real quick. <laughs> you do. It just, you power down. He like, every. Am I telling the truth to somebody? Girl, you needed to laugh. I like that. You were wiping tears from your eyes. You knew it. That emotion comes. And what I'm saying is, is that if we're not practicing forgiveness in advance, when the moment comes, we're not going to offer it. It's progressive. You're not just waiting for the moment. People are like, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. Good luck with that. If you don't cultivate a forgiving heart, friends, when the moment arrives and your heart isn't already free, freedom doesn't just happen in those moments. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of who you're becoming. And so I have found, here's what I did when I walked out of the store. And I genuinely did this. I walked out of the store after seeing this person. I greeted them and all that. And I said, Lord, I forgive them again. And I thank you for forgiving me. Because I didn't want to take that home with me. I didn't want to eat my ice cream with that in my mind. I didn't want to watch the movie with that in my mind. I don't need to bring that home. I've already dealt with that. And the Lord is asking us to respond in a progressive manner. So we're cultivating something. We're living the life that he wants us to live. Forgive and live. That's what we're trying to do here. The second principle that I think we find in the passage is forgiveness is costly. In the parable, the king forgave the servant 10,000 talents. That's probably about 18 years of wages. 
The king forgave the debt, absorbed the costs, and this was supposed to be a radical expression of forgiveness. Jesus wants us to feel this is a radical expression of forgiveness. And the next thing that happens is the servant that was owed two months' wages from his fellow servant, he goes out and demands it. But we have to also understand, we don't agree with what he did. Jesus is teaching that, but it still was a lot of money for him too. And the point I'm trying to make is forgiveness is always costly. You might look at people and say, well, that person, that guy, that gal, it seems like whenever they talk about the issues or the conflict in their life, they're just like, I just forgave that person. Why is it so easy for them and so difficult for me? Friend, you gotta know that for every good testimony that there is, there is something that that person is also dealing with too. Can we just get into the secret here today? Like, I love the fact that we share testimonies and we need to because it encourages our heart. But don't think for a second that each and every person isn't grappling with something that's even greater and even more difficult for them. That's just how life is. And we have to spur each other on through testimony because it helps us. I told you I was a real estate agent for a long time, and I I like to use this illustration because it's so true. Whenever I'd sell a property, we would go and take about 25 pictures of the home. But we never took pictures of the jackknife driveway and the small backyard and the really small closet and the messed up room because it looked like an explosion happened from one of the children. You know, we just skipped that room, you know. I mean, you don't take pictures of the things you don't want people to see because you're still working on those things. You want to take pictures that highlight the strengths, the positives to bring people to your home. This is what I want you. And every now and again, people would come to the house and go, wow, I didn't know that this was an issue here. And we just go on to the next one. But my point is you take pictures of the things that you emphasize. And I think sometimes in our life, we do that in church. But it's not a negative thing. We're trying to highlight the goodness of God in the midst of a chaotic world. And so we need that. But forgiveness is costly. Forgiving someone is not excusing sinful action, nor is it saying that the sin did not hurt me. That's not what forgiveness means. It doesn't mean it's easy. Forgiving is about acknowledging the wrongdoing and the need for a righteous response because that's what Christ is like and that's what Christ wants in our own life. Forgiveness is always costly, but it's always worth it. And my third point is unforgiveness is even more costly. In verse 35, Jesus says, if we don't forgive others from the heart, we will not be forgiven. Now, this is a very deep passage when you think about it, but Jesus said this more than once, and we've got to stop and take notice of what he's talking about here. He's saying that if you receive something so profound from me and you are unwilling, everybody say unwilling. This is not struggling. This is not grappling with. This is not having a hard time with. This is, I am unwilling. If you're unwilling to give it to someone else, that is a deep problem. And let's just put a period on the end of that. Forgiven people forgive people. That's a fact. And so the Holy Spirit will not allow you or me to get away with unforgiveness. He knows what it does to us. And certainly it's, it's not from God. Unforgiveness is the evidence that Jesus and his words are not first in our life. And that's just the bottom line. And can I tell you today, just as a warning, unforgiveness will open a door in your soul to the work of the, of the enemy. And you don't want that guy in there. You don't want any demonic power in your life. You don't want any demonic power in your home. I'm not teaching you to be afraid of demonic power, but I am saying that if we don't have a greater fear of God, we should understand that if we give the enemy a right to come into our life through unforgiveness, friends, that's not going to be a great thing for us. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about that. He doesn't mention the enemy, but we can understand he's involved. Hebrews 12, 15 He says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out that no bitter root. Unforgiveness leads us to resentment and bitterness, and that grows a root, and it poisons the entire soil of our life. And it does this. It corrupts people around us. It will corrupt your spouse. It will corrupt your kids. It will corrupt your workplace. You will speak out of this place in your heart. You cannot hold it back. You cannot hide it. The Bible says out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You cannot hold back what is inside. It will eventually come out. And that poison 
can be dispelled by us offering forgiveness just like Jesus has done for us. And that's why he warns us against this. Do not allow resentment and bitterness in your life. All we have to do is practice forgiveness. Now, that doesn't solve everything. We've got a big book here, and that's one passage. We have a lot of questions on forgiveness. Let me bring a couple more principles. Important principles about forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is vertical, and then it's horizontal. Now, this I had to learn, all right? So Mark eleven twenty five 25 says that if you stand praying and you hold something against a person, forgive them. Like right there, right then. If you recognize you have something against a person, forgive them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And I practice that. I'm encouraging you to practice that. Right there, if you know it, say it, pray it, deal with that with the Lord. But here's what Luke 17, 3 says. We read this last week. If your brother or sister, women, you're not out of this, all right? So if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Show him his fault. If he repents, then forgive him. Every now and again, a person will bring these passages to me like they're a contradiction. One is we're saying we forgive people even if they don't come to us. The other says that we rebuke them, and if they own it, then we forgive them. And it almost sounds like we don't forgive them unless they own it. And I want to tell you, there is a tension over this issue. Maybe you haven't thought about it, but I want to tell you this, is that we have to be people that practice forgiveness no matter what. There are numbers of people in my life that have never owned the wrong that they have done to me, but I have forgiven them anyways. Does that mean that I have made reconciliation on their part? Of course not. You cannot have reconciliation without repentance. There has to be restitution. There has to be repentance in order for there to be reconciliation. But the Bible teaches, live at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. And I have made a decision in my life that I will forgive people and release them because it's who I am. Now, forgiveness given is not forgiveness received. So there's no reconciliation. Jesus died for every person on the planet. I'm not a Calvinist, so I believe Jesus died for every person on the planet and that every person has the potential of being forgiven. His death was for the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness offered is not forgiveness received. Inclusionists believe that every person is forgiven because Jesus' death was so powerful. That's heresy. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus' death was powerful, but it's effective to those that receive his forgiveness and they're made right with God. We are not reconciled with God unless we receive the payment that has been made. We stand unreconciled. But here's the reality. Jesus already did everything and he has nothing left to do. When he said it is finished on the cross, it is absolutely finished. What he did is done. Now it's up to us to receive what he's done, be reconciled. The same way, in the same way, we actually have this in our own relationships. We have to be people that do the work. We offer forgiveness. We are cultivating a forgiving heart. That doesn't mean we wipe away what that person's done, leaving no room for making amends and reconciliation. We can't do that part. That's not our part to do. And so that's not what I'm talking about. There are people that still owe me money. Come on, somebody say amen. There's one guy, if you're watching, you still owe me $5,000. I love you. But that would be great to get that check in the mail. I'm just saying. And you know, you can say, well, Pastor Ben, you didn't forgive that person. I forgave them for what they did in sinning against me. But I'm still allowing room for making amends. That's not mine to do. The Bible says, live at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. Um, our family could benefit, you know, from that. That's our money. Amen. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you can't release the debt. They just don't acknowledge the wrongdoing. So I just believe in this. Very important. Cultivate a forgiving heart vertically with God. Father, I thank you that you've forgiven me. I forgive. Father, I thank you that you've forgiven me. I forgive. We walk in this kind of mentality. We walk in this kind of mindset. But that doesn't equal reconciliation. That's not what I'm talking about. But we want to seek reconciliation wherever possible. Point number two is forgiveness is not peace at all costs. We are not opening ourselves up to be sinned against over and over again. We're not talking about living in abusive relationships. Um, I will help you out of that if you come to me. And I, I, I want to tell you that Jesus gave us a very clear process to deal with sin against us. And I want to read it to you in Matthew 18. Verse 15, he says, If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. That's, I mean, I want you to park right there. 
If someone sins against you, go show them their fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses, I know. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And what, what that means is not just oust him from the church. That might need to happen. There might need to be an excommunication. But this means that you treat them as a non-Christian, whether that's they're not capable or have the capacity to interact as a Christian would under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that you see them as someone who literally isn't going to agree with your principles. They're not going to see it the same way as you. That's the base level of how it is that we view someone if they are unwilling to listen. And some people think, well, you just oust them from the church. Depends on the infraction. It depends on the sin. But it's important for us to look at this process of dealing with sin to bring resolve and reconciliation. This passage and many others actually tell us what to do. And friends, hear me when I say, a lot of Christians just simply don't practice the Bible. How many times I'm with someone, how many times you're with someone and we're talking about a situation and we wonder what we should do, but we're not practicing what Matthew 18 says. It says, if someone has done something to you, go to them and show them their fault. Look at, everybody say go. go. It does not say wait. And I think there's a lot of unforgiveness in Christians' lives because we're over here waiting. And I think what that does is it accumulates a mentality. Well, I'm just going to wait here until they come to me. That's what's it. You can even hear that, you know, in my heart as I say it. It might be coming from somewhere. But I'm just going to wait here. And when they get their stuff together, then, you know, we can maybe then, maybe. It's us trying to punish someone. That's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth. All of us like sheep have gone astray. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came from heaven to earth to pursue us. He wasn't like, I'm going to wait for them to get their act together. If our goal is to be like Jesus, we have to read this and understand this is like his heart. It's not just his command. It's this is what I'm like. If somebody has sinned against you, go to them. Now, you might be saying, I have situations in my life and I can't do that. This is where we have to pray about it. There are situations in our life that it's not that simple. There's complexity, there's levels, there's layers. I get that, you have to pray about that. I'm not saying in every circumstance, but at a base level, principle teaching is we learn how to go to our offenders. And when we do, reconciliation can be possible. When there's a breach in relationship, it is a gift to offer to that person the opportunity to make things right. That's not vindictive, it's actually Christ-like. If we go in a vindictive spirit, that's a, whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. But I just want you to notice what Jesus said, go to your offenders. And I have found that this is very intimidating. This can be very difficult, but it is necessary. The third point, I just got to move on because a couple of you got to breathe. You know, it keeps you alive. I just want to encourage you to do that. Number three is forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Jeremiah 31 and 34, Hebrews 10, 17. It talks about as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Like God has forgotten our, transit, our, our, our transgressions and he remembers them no more. Everybody know these passages? He's forgotten the new covenant in Jesus. He remembers them no more. And I have heard people say this really bad statement that you have forgiven people when you've forgotten it. And that, my friend, is a lie. That is a your amen was not good enough. That is a lie. How do you forget some things? How do you forget some things? Now, I've heard testimonies about it, and I think that's great. But let me just tell you something. God does not forget your sins. It means that he does not deal with you according to your sins in the new covenant. It means that God does not recall them on your account. The ledger has been clean. An omniscient being does not forget anything. God does not have spiritual amnesia like, whoop, what sin are you talking about? <laughs> he knows the past, the present, and the future of everyone. It does not mean he forgot it. It means he doesn't deal with you according to it. 
In Christ, we are clean. He sees us through the blood of his son, Jesus. And that's the beauty of the new covenant. That's what Christianity is all about. But I haven't forgotten a lot of the things that I've done in my past because they're my testimony. I don't even forget some of the things that I've done because I can recall them in order to boast in God and what Jesus has done for me. So it's just a really bad idea to think that in order to forgive someone, you have to forget what they've done to you. No, you have to release what they've done to you. You have to cancel the debt. And that means talking about it, dwelling on it constantly, bringing it up, using it against them. It means releasing them of that. It's very, very powerful. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Why? So we don't use it against each other. Married people, that's a really good principle for marriage. (laughs) Love keeps no record of wrongs. So if you've got a little notepad (laughs) or a website, you ought to, or an ongoing note on your iPhone, you ought to delete that today. Unless it's, you know, hits that level. I, I know. I know. I can't solve every problem here. Forgiveness does not mean I trust them. It does not mean things can be the same. It does not mean I can't confront you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does mean I don't want revenge. I want God to help you and me. I know how much mercy he has had on me and I wanna have mercy on you. I want my heart to be like his and I don't want the enemy to have a foothold in me or in you. That's what forgiveness is is like. And I have some friends that um, I'm gonna invite to the stage at this time because they have uh, some testimonies that they've shared with me that I want them to share with you instead of you just hearing my stories. I just thought this was uh, powerful as they uh, talk about forgiveness. This is Corey and this is Mike, and uh, I'm just going to let Corey share here for a couple minutes. All right. So I strongly uh, felt convicted a few months ago to forgive my stepfather. Uh, I'd grown up with him, known him for about 20 years, and he was somebody that I had built up a strong dislike for, we'll say that. I hated him, right? I, I mean, it was, there was a lot of resentment and, and unforgiveness. And so I had, um, I'd been dropping my, my brother off at his house uh, probably about four months ago. And he had just been walking outside at that time. And I just felt that pull. And so I decided to get out of the car. I couldn't ignore it anymore. I got out of the car and I just said what's up to him. Um, and then I just began to tell him that I forgave him, uh, that I didn't have this built up resentment for him anymore, or this unforgiveness, and um, that Jesus had changed me. And, and since I'd been walking with him, he, he wants me to forgive him and that he, Jesus loves him also. So a few weeks ago, uh, on Father's Day, actually, he, <laughs> he gave me a call after Ben had been talking about father once. Um, he just happened to call me. And the conversation quickly turned into that day. Uh, he brought it up, and he just said, he, he even confessed, like, he, he had a lot of hate for, for me growing up and unforgiveness. And, um, but he said that day something changed in his heart. And... Uh, he started confessing some of his regrets and past mistakes. And for the first time in 20 years, we had a, <laughs> an hour-long conversation, and we just shared our hearts with each other a little bit. And it was, um, it was beautiful, and I just praise God, and I thank him. And he's given me hope <laughs> for the future in that relationship. And, yeah, so praise God. Um, back in 2004 BC, uh, for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, know what that means. BC before Christ days, I was uh, I was in of and very much for the world, um, drinking, drugs, uh, street gang, hood affiliations, if you will, um, and so I was part of that life. So February 2004, um, I was at a bar that I usually go to. I mean, someone from maybe an opposite side, uh, he showed up at this bar. We got into a fight, turned out to a huge brawl. Uh, When the brawl finished, he went out the back, I went out the front, and apparently he wasn't too happy about the outcome of the fight. So he gets in his car, cruises back around the front of the bar, jumps out with the gun, and starts spraying towards me. Uh, Two of us got hit, 
Another one got hit in his chest. I got hit in my leg. And for a whole year, I couldn't walk. I was, I was healing physically. Um, and in that time, they caught him. Uh, he got sent off to prison. But 20, that was about 20 years ago. Uh, four years ago, when I gave my life to Christ, God put it on my heart to just have forgiveness for the situation, um, but specifically for him. Um, and so, so I've done that. And even though I've forgiven him, recently God's put it on my heart to reach out to him to see if there's some reconciliation from both ends, from his side, from my side, and the whole thing. And, and so I've reached out to his brother, and we're prayerfully walking through, um, hopefully going to see him wherever he's at, and having forgiveness from, from all sides. So I thank God for that. Come on. Come on. You guys can bring that. I just, um, so I heard, I, I'm walking with these guys. They're both my friends. They're members of our church. But as I heard these stories, I'm like, you've got to share. And uh, we didn't plan it. Like, I'm going to preach on forgiveness, and I'm going to have you do, I mean, I didn't know how that was going to work out, but I just heard these stories, and I, I thought, maybe you can or can't relate to what Corey or Mike said. I know that we can in the issue of forgiveness, but the beauty, some of the beauty of their story is that they both have reached out. They both are cultivating forgiveness, and I heard it in my heart when they were talking. I, I heard that you're cultivating forgiveness. The Lord put it on your heart. You're not resisting it, and then you reached out. You, you did something that's uncomfortable. You did something that seems unlikely, and the Lord is working in that. And guys, I know that when we reach out, reconciliation does not always happen. We all know that, but we can't anticipate what may not happen. There are just times where God will call us to do something, and his super meets our natural, and a miracle can happen. And I just want to encourage you this morning that as we consider what Jesus has done for us, that we also want to do likewise whatever that might mean in our lives. And this last point that I'll make, and I'll just make it real simply to you, is forgiveness acknowledges what God has done for us is greater than what others have done against us. We sing this song, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it to good. And it's a real happy clappy. And every now, again, now and again, as a theological guy, I'm always thinking, does the Bible really say that? And the Bible does actually say that. The Bible does give precedent to this idea that God's at work, even if people have done all of this terrible stuff to us, it doesn't make us a victim for all things and from all people. It, it means that God can be a victor in our life. The most inspiring people to me personally are people that have been put down, oppressed, mistreated, and they've risen. And by declaration of the way they live their life, they have said, no matter what you do, it is not more powerful than what he's done. To me, those are the most inspiring people in the world because they've risen above what is natural to us, which is to say, you've done me wrong and you deserve punishment. Somehow they found something in Christ, which we all ought to and we all have, but they found a way about them to re release what they've received. And I'm, I'm inspired by those people. I'm inspired by those stories. Those, those are the things that we, we uphold as testimony. And Joseph is one of those guys in the Bible that I've always thought about where he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He, he doesn't give in to temptation and gets thrown into prison and he's in this oppressive state for 13 years. And in one moment, he's risen to the second place of Egypt because God gave him a gift and he held his integrity. And he said this in Genesis 50 and verse 18, when his brothers come to him at the end of his life and they're anticipating some form of lashing out because of unforgiveness, they're just thinking, how could you not? But this is what God does in his, in his heart. Then his brothers came and fell down before him and they said, behold, we're your servants. Basically, do, do with us what you want. And he said to them, don't be afraid for I am in God's place. As for you, in other words, God put me here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about his, this present result to preserve many people alive. Forgiveness didn't just happen when his brothers came to him. It started when he realized what God was doing in his life. And this is so powerful that Joseph wasn't living in past unforgiveness. He was looking to God and he was acknowledging all that God had done and all that God is doing. And he's an example for us today, just like these men that have shared um, in front of us. Would you stand to your feet? I, I want to close and commission you today.
As I, as I pray, I want to ask you the question, is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? Is there anybody in your life that you need to go to? Do you need to go to your offender? Do you need to show someone their fault in private? Do you need to offer forgiveness? Maybe you can't go to them, but vertically, is something happening in your heart where the Lord's putting this in you and you just need to release it right now? Just just give it to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you've forgiven me and I'm asking that you would release that forgiveness through me. I confess it's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. I don't know how to manage this on my own and I'm asking for your help today. Is that the prayer that you need to pray? Because if so, pray it. Don't wait for me to pray it. Don't wait for an altar call to give it. Pray it. Say it. Cultivate it. God is in the midst of that. This is what the Lord is all about, and he empowers those that are like him. And so, Father, I thank you today for Northwest Church. God, I thank you that you're our pattern. You're not just the payment for our sins, but you're the pattern of our life, and we want to follow you. And all that you do and you ask us to do, we say yes to in advance. It might be hard, but we say yes. It might come with great difficulty and complexity, but Lord, we say yes. We're not just asking for the easy times. We're praying that whatever you ask us to do and whatever circumstances may occur, we're praying that we could become like you. And I'm asking that you give us that grace today. Father, where it's needed, I pray that you would give it. We receive it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.